we got the alternative energy free autonomy and welcome to the radioactive show produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the community radio network Today's Radioactive show has been produced on Wurundjeri country of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge Elders past, present and current and that Wurundjeri sovereignty has never been ceded. I'm Emma. On today's show, I speak to two organisers with Wage Peace. First, I speak to Lil Bato about an action that occurred recently interrupting a summit called STEM in Defence, which is about uh, the partnership between weapons companies and the defence Department and educators. After that, I speak with Margie Pistorius, um, also from Wage Peace, about the upcoming Disrupt Land Forces gathering, also held in Mianjin or Brisbane, and the priorities of the Disrupt Land Forces conference and why it's so important to provide a counter voice to that weapons expo. Joining us on the Radioactive Show, Lil, um, would you like to start out by introducing yourself, who you're working with and uh, what got you involved with the protest? Sure. So, um, yeah, my name's Lily. I've been a community organiser for um, a fair few years now and um, I organise at the moment, uh, among other things, with a network called Wage Peace and uh, we do basically all things anti-militarism, um, pro-peace, pro-planet. Uh, so one of the messages that we try to push in general discourse in Australian politics is that um, the resources that we spend on the military would be better spent elsewhere. And we try to push back against the kind of cultural idea that war is inevitable and unavoidable. Um, so recently, just this week, um, Wage Peace and perhaps others, community members, have uh, interrupted a summit um, which is about defence and STEM, which stands for the Science, Technology, Engineering and Maths in Education. Yeah. Um, how, what was this summit, um, this summit's purpose and how did you find out about it and decide that it would be a good event, um, an important event to intervene in? So um, the summit was hosted by Australian Defence Magazine, uh, which not only publishes a magazine, but it sort of runs, it does run events quite a bit that are intended as sort of networking things for the defence industry. Um, This particular summit was focused on giving people from the weapons industry and the defence forces an opportunity to talk to people in the education system uh, about ways to develop more, they like to call them industry partnerships. So that's when a school uh, in some sort of relationship that can be a direct sponsorship, it can just be an agreement, it can sort of take a variety of forms. Um, but a school works with a private corporation to uh, deliver particular sets of curriculum outcomes. Um, and we've seen a really, there are there is an alarming amount of these industry partnerships uh, forming between weapons companies and schools. 
particularly around the delivery of yeah the STEM curricula and um, we thought that this was an important one to intervene in. Um, ask, I'm really I'm curious about who is making those agreements like who who is in um, attends these conferences like is it actually um, education department or staff from schools principals so another reason that we thought uh, this was a good one to disrupt is that it wasn't really aimed at regular teachers or principals of schools um, it was the it cost I can't remember the exact number but it was around about a thousand dollars a person to send someone to this conference mm. um, so there were representatives from, yeah, like you were saying, there were representatives from lots of major weapons companies. There were a couple of, um, I don't know if they were generals, but they looked, they were, they went in in their uniform and they looked very important and flash, um, <laughs> defense personnel. Um, and it would be more people like big wigs in the Department of Education and, uh, there were there was definitely at least one representative of TAFE from uh, TAFE there, mm. uh, but we particularly you know we didn't want to give regular teachers a hard time about it. Teachers are facing like so much pressure. Uh, you know they've they've been um, campaigning through their own unions in like I live in New South Wales. There's been like big union campaigns lately, and. Um, you know, if someone hands you a ready-made educational program that allows you to be like, cool, that's like a whole chunk of the curriculum that I can just tick off, of course you're going to take people up on that. They have so much money to throw at it that it's nothing for them. But, you know, to have like a robotics competition where everything is paid for and whatnot, you know, and like, of course, teachers want to give kids opportunities. Like uh, what we're trying to promote is like also really platforming alternatives to that and like positive things that are happening in the STEM education space that focus on things like renewable energy or health technologies or mm. sustainable agriculture and those sorts of things that are, you know, giving young people the skills that they'll need to actually solve the problems that the world faces rather than create more problems and engineer more death and suffering. Yeah, it's, it's important to remember that it's not the problem with STEM educational curriculum or the idea of bringing those subjects together of science and technology and engineering and maths, but what those skills may be used for with the um, defence authorization. Mm. Yeah, and on that point, like that's exactly what we find so concerning. Like I'm a physics graduate myself. Um, I've always loved science and been really passionate about it. Um, but what is really distressing to me about the idea of weapons companies influencing the way that STEM education is delivered is science is apolitical when it's not contextualized, right? So an example that I always use is the discipline of nuclear physics is apolitical its application to bombing Japan in World War II is absolutely and unavoidably political. But you need to, in order to be a, you know, whole functioning adult in the world, you need to be able to contextualise your scientific knowledge um, and you might end up with all these skills, but you need to be able to put those, like, you know, implement those in the world in some way that's going to be positive. And when we have these weapons companies doing these these modules there is 
a, a part of the curriculum that states that there's supposed to be some ethical discussion around um, contentious technology or, you know, technologies that have uh, controversial applications like drone technologies, AI, things like that. And we've, we find that very often in these weapon-sponsored ones, that is completely left out. So kids just get presented with this like, oh, cool, robots, pew, pew, cool, mm. um, with no let's talk about what this technology means in the world and how it actually exists in relationship to other things, um, which, you know, like doesn't, I don't think that does those students any favours and it doesn't do society any favours either. Mm. The way the programs are implemented, do you think that it's um, the intention of the defence or the, or the, mili- the um, militarised companies is to build skills that will be um, useful for them in their perpetuating, yeah, militarising and spending for a workforce. I, I guess I'm wondering, is there a sense of direct recruiting into defence or those companies or is it sort of to build the skills that later they would seek or need in a workforce? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, absolutely. Uh, so they set out their intentions quite so defend the department of defense um put out uh there's a number of documents um if you go to the wage peace website we've just put up a background briefing Mm -hmm. um on this subject it's a bit of a how did we get here kind of story um which links to a whole bunch of um documents that have been put out by the department of defense that are sort of like how are we going to grow the defense industry and just for those of us playing at home, grow the defense industry means make more bombs, make more guns, make more weapons. Um, but grow the industry is a nice, like, little shiny throw you can put over that and mm-hmm. make it sound all very innocuous. Yeah, way back in 2017, sorry, 2016 defense white paper, they identified um, sourcing and retaining the future workforce as a major challenge. And then as these documents go on, I I'm, I can't remember off the top of my head, it's called something like Strategic Workforce Vision 2017. Uh, that one is probably the most clear statement of their intentions where they their language for it is securing the talent pipeline. Uh, we like to call it STEM washing. Mm. <laughs> they are quite explicit about their intention that they were like, we need to intervene in education to get more young people to choose STEM careers in order for us to have a work, like secure a workforce to grow this industry. Mm. And obviously it's different to perhaps, yeah, decades ago where that means turning up at the careers fair. I guess the Mm. specific, you know, it's different in a way to recruiting traditional like soldiers that we think of. Mm. So the Medical Association for the Prevention of War did a really good report on this subject called Miners and Missiles. Um, And there's a quote from, uh, she's like the chairman or one of the directors or something of BAE Systems where it was like, uh, you know, young people can sometimes have a negative view of the defence industry. (laughs) And it's like, oh, really? Yeah. Like, wow, young people, you know, potentially want to build solar panels, not bombs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, and all the more insidious if it's uh, not just, yeah, probably these programs aren't delivered by, you know, people in military <laughs> identifying gear or anything. That's the nature of it being more insidious and subtle. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but um, And MapWine tends to update that report, I'm told. And, oh, great. Um, yeah, and put out, uh, put a lot more rigour into explaining sort of the research and and everything that's been done into positive brand association in children's pretty much throughout their adulthood once you've formed that and it's exactly the same principles and exactly the same psychology it's like oh you went and had like an awesome excursion building robots with your friends at the you know Lockheed Martin Institute of Learning at the University of whatever mm. like then and then, you know, that and then that contextualizes for you as you're growing up, like what that company's role in the world is and what it actually, yeah, what it does and how it relates to to the world and gives you this impression that it's um yeah, that it cares about about your education when, you know, it probably it obviously didn't care about the education of the children on the bus, that, you know, in Yemen when the Lockheed Martin missile struck it, like. It didn't care about those edu- those children's education. Mm. Yes, very stark. Um, mm. I guess finally, Lil, uh, were you wondering how the, how the experience of the action was? Were you actually there, or could you um, tell us a little bit about how how it went down on the day when you intervened in the summit? Yeah, I was there. I was very lucky to be in town for that because I'm not normally around Brisbane, but um, it's a really interesting experiment a lot of the time to take space like that and how how little you actually have to do to sort of wrestle control of the space like sometimes just by being in it you can feel that the organizers know they have lost control of the space and it terrifies them (laughs) it makes them really uncomfortable and we were not you know we did some chanting and we did some singing and stuff like that. Um, but no one actually uh, really hard blocked anyone getting it. it was, you know, people would sort of stand in a doorway, but, you know, no one aggressively like, you know, pushed anyone out of the space or anything like that. Um, but people just already know like you know the minute you're in there and you've broken the kind of like social code of conduct you can feel that like it's 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 a really empowering feeling right because you've really like wrestled control of those people and and like now it's your space now it's your you know stage piece basically This is The Radioactive Show, and you just heard my discussion with Lil Barto, an organiser with Wage Peace. I also had the chance to speak to Margie Pistorius about the upcoming Disrupt Land Forces event in Mianjin, Brisbane. Thanks for joining us on The Radioactive Show, Margie Pistorius, and... Um, would you like to start out by just uh, letting us know who you're organising with at the moment 
um, and introducing yourself. Yeah, I'm from Wage Peace. Uh, we're a small anti-militarist organisation. And at the moment, we're organising to disrupt the big land forces exhibition, which is a, um, you know, it's supposed to be every two years, but they held it last year because it was running a year late. But it's a massive weapons exhibition. And they are busy organising to disperse $30 billion a year over, you know, through this 10-year period. And so we are wanting them to go away. We don't mm. think they should be organising and we don't want them in our town. They're in the middle of Greensland and hardly anybody here thinks it's a good idea. Mm. And that's, of course, in, in Mianjin, otherwise known as Brisbane, where the, pre- the previous last year's conference was held as well and you had a um, a great opposition event then. Are you How are you hoping to build on that this year? Well, we're hoping to strengthen our opposition, not necessarily make it, uh, you know, not not necessarily more people, but certainly uh, smarter and thoughtful, work work easier with more outcome is our thinking. And we're getting better at uh, thinking about how we do disruption. We're thinking we want to do creative disruption that our people really want to be part of and want to keep doing and want to, you know, continue in. Um, and so it has to be quite sort of, we say pleasant for us, unpleasant for them. So we're going to be very welcoming and creative and thoughtful with each other. Uh, while being uh, unwelcoming and uh, mean to the visiting arms dealers, mm. that's what I'm thinking. And and we're using our uh, this sort of theory of disruption really comes from New Zealand, where they did shut down a sequence of um, of of these weapons events. Uh, they didn't shut them down during them, but they made them so unpleasant that they stopped putting them on in New Zealand. Mm, that's interesting. Um, when was that? Would you be able to just tell us a little more? Oh, around, I think, 2016, 17, 18, mm-hmm. there was a series of them in uh, the Auckland region, I think, mm-hmm. and eventually they made them so uh, unpleasant and they shut them down. You know, they just disrupted them so much that the next one got cancelled. So there was like mm-hmm. three in a row and then the next one got cancelled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is I haven't had one since. And so we're using their methodology, really. We we uh, had sessions with them to learn, and then we practised last year. So we, we want to – the idea is that we get together, we have a good time, we do stuff that's creative. You know, people don't like – it's it's hard being in a disruptive space unless you're really connected and having not exactly fun, but, you know, that you have a sense of satisfaction about mm. what you're doing, that you feel like you're heading somewhere. So the idea is really to make it so um, – discomforting that they don't come back mm-hmm. and this, and so we've got different ways and thoughts about how to do that sometimes outside the venue sometimes inside the venue and we're we'll be replicating or doing some of the things we did last year we think mm-hmm. and so the the conference itself or the exhibition as you say that's um who does attend that major military corporations from around the world and governments or what is the makeup of well, the Queensland government is the major sponsor. So uh, at the moment, what's happening is the federal government is dispersing about, you know, 20 to 30 billion a year over 10 years. So that will increase over the 10 years, presumably, as more people line up for it. Um, and then there's a bunch of um, big companies, the big the big US and European companies that take their places. They're trying to get contracts or they already have contracts with the Australians. 
And then you've got them doling. They they get the big bulk of the money and then they dole it out to what they call small and medium-sized enterprises, which is sort of code for Australian organisations or Australian businesses. Um, and then the idea is that they drag each other up by the bootstraps and all become very, very technologically able. But the truth is a lot of the money, there's so much money that, you know, there's a lot of it most, you know, a good chunk of it goes out through the corporations themselves. That's how they make their big profits by lining up in, in line with government who give them money and then the profit, then they just take the profits. Um, the truth is they make a whole bunch of projects. They're never really used for defence. They're just used for boys with toys, these sort of jet fighter projects or these big ship projects or, you know, they talk about them as being defence projects, but Half the time they don't even get going. When they do get going, they have you know such serious problems that they can't staff them, or they can't you know they can't operate them, or they don't get them finished on time, and they blow out of budget. So they're just basically they're sort of these just these places where people wallow in a lot of cash. Mm. And then the the main if if there is um, a transfer of money towards weaponry, which there is, it's mainly in the areas of uh, small arms, uh, transporters, transport equipment, and attack helicopters—that sort of thing—that get used against First Nations people, against civil resistance. Um, so it's, it becomes that sort of policing type equipment, um, in, in, and we can see this sort of rolling out very clearly in Myanmar or West Papua, where it's you know you're bringing in huge numbers of military using transporters and using um, these sort of tanks, these militarized, um, you know, massive iron trucks, steel trucks, and then you've armed everybody with small arms and then that's really the point where you've got the danger. You know, The way people really die is um, by being shot or beaten or killed um, in a militarised zone. Mm. Yeah. They don't, get, they don't die in dog fights by jet fighters, but that's where the big money gets spent. Mm. Mm, interesting. And... Um, in particular, it seems that you're you're emphasizing the the cost um, that this this weaponizing is having on West Papuan communities and people through through your organizing. Have you been able to connect with um, any West Papuan people through this process? Oh, certainly. We've set up a website called the War in West Papua, which is showing where all the weapons are flowing from which countries and which companies into Indonesia. And we're um, in connected. We're connected up with a group of people doing civil resistance in West Papua, a large group of people doing civil resistance in West Papua, who are also explicitly working anti against anti military against militarism of their country. Uh, they're trying to set themselves up into a green sort of state, a green, a sort of a green state. Um, and they are explicitly resisting the sort of militarism that they're facing, um, and they see they see the brunt of that militarism. But I have to say, it's not just West Papuans that we're in solidarity with. We're also in solidarity with First Nations people in Australia, who, of course, have borne the borne the brunt. And I'm here on Yagarit country at Maganshin, and you know the people here have borne that sort of military, the brunt of militarism for 200 years. You know, first through the penal um, and the castral state. You know, the castral state has been militarized from the beginning, 
And the way settlers got weapons, I imagine, is by the transfer of weapons from the military to settlers in order to take over the land. So we, we're seeing that sort of castral state still rolling out here. And we know that, um, for example, in one of the major sponsors of land forces is a company that has delivered 65,000 weapons to police, mm. uh, an Australian company. So so this, this sort of militarised, and that, they, those are the weapons that killed that young man in the Northern Territory, and those people have asked for us to say no, disarm police, no weapons in the community. So we're also standing with those people. Um, obviously, we're, we're also in solidarity with people of Palestine and the people standing against companies like Elbit, the Israeli company, um, but in our action groups at the moment, you, you know, we're limited to some extent in the messaging and the, the scope of our action groups. But we'd love to collaborate with other action groups working against Elbeat or working around that um, justice in the justice for Aboriginal First Nations people. Mm. But to some extent, we have focused our solidarity on West Papua and um, we are developing friendships there. And we're also trying to get countries overseas doing weapons work to you know, action groups overseas doing weapons work. For example, a small group in Chicago that's uh, been moving against Boeing. They're also now, um, you know, recognizing the impact on West Papua. So we're trying to get that sort of the the solidarity message of West Papua, what's going on in Indonesia, to extend to other countries overseas that are uh, delivering weapons to Indonesia. Mm, great. Um... Yeah, so many important alliances and struggles and it is good to hear that um, First Nations experiences and resistance to um, defence and these companies will be centred. Um, for those who are considering coming, it's it's in early October, I think, and um, what would you say right. to people around who are Considering come, a trip to the come, it's going to be fun. We, we've we've booked out the local uh, backpackers. Not booked it out, but we've we've booked this. So this there'll be somewhere to stay. Uh, there'll be meals at the local hall, um, which was the place we're going to send it. So we'll have a place to look after. It'll be easy to find a place to stay. It'll be easy to find um, food and to be connected. And um, it's a good chance for solidarity between the climate movement activists and the peace activists, and for us people to start to understanding that. The peace movement um, that the peace movement drives, I oh know that militarism enforces extraction, and that that um, enforcement of extraction is, um, you know, what enforces deforestation and is also yeah. driving the climate crisis. And so we'll have a lot of people, um, you know, that we work already closely with from the climate movement uh, coming. So it's a good chance for that cross movement sort of um, uh, experiences. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. I'm sure we'll continue to um, follow it closely as we build up to uh, the the event itself. And um, so thanks so much, so much for joining us today on the Radioactive Show. That was Margie Pistorius from Wage Peace outlining plans for the Disrupt Land Forces event taking place from the 1st to 7th of October in Mianjin. To find out more about their plans and perhaps plan a trip, you can look up the website disruptlandforces.org. Earlier in the show, I spoke to Lil Barto, also an organiser with Wage Peace, about their opposition to defence companies and government departments' involvement 
in STEM education. Learn more about that campaign and others by visiting wagepeaceau.org. And you can also check out MAPWA's report, Miners and Missiles. This has been the Radioactive Show, produced for 3CR Community Radio in Nam and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks to the Nuclear Free Collective of Friends of the Earth Melbourne for their support of our show. You can podcast our shows on 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. Thanks for listening and here's to a nuclear free and peaceful future. So this is in the middle of the pandemic where this billionaire is suing the Pentagon for a military contract for what most people think is the place that you order books from. It's a very interesting case study in pulling out the different threads of militarism and how it can really be embedded in so many aspects of our lives that we don't even realize that when we order something from Amazon that we're putting workers' lives at risk and that we're supporting what is becoming an increasingly important actor in the military-industrial complex. Exposing that to people, I think, is very important. People will care if they understand that this is how things are all interconnected and linked. It's surfacing that information, it's making that accessible and making it relevant for people's lives. And I think that is another opportunity that COVID-19 really presents to us is that we are all connected and these structures are all connected. We can see that much more clearly now than we could before. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377.